This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is brought to you by Northeastern University's Damore McKim School of Business. Northeastern University's Damore McKim School of Business offers the Master's Degree for Corporate Entrepreneurs, the MS in Innovation. This program, available 100% online and completed in just one year, is designed to develop leaders and change agents within the corporate setting. If you want to foster explosive growth within your organization through next-generation products and services and business model innovations, they want to hear from you. Northeastern is now accepting applications for its January cohort of online innovation students. Get started today by visiting msininnovation.com. That's msininnovation.com. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, a very well-established podcast from The Verge. That intro comes from Walt Mossberg. He's at Walt Mossberg on Twitter. We love it when he sends in intros. They're the best that we get. Uh, I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge. Uh, I'm joined by my friend, uh, executive editor of The Verge, editor-at-large at Recode, and proud owner of a one-year-old podcast, Control-Alt-Delete. That's right. Control-Alt-Delete is one years old which is incredible to think about. Hey, Walt, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, and I can't believe we've been doing this for a year. I can't believe it. And and some people actually listen to it. Some people. It's really um, interesting. Well, we just did it because it's super fun, and we just kept it going. We did. It's great. <laughs> That's the thing. We <laughs> did it because we always, even if we weren't on a podcast, we'd be talking like this. But I, 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 do, uh, I do think it's fitting to let the listeners know that because we are now uh, – established and have done this for a year we are expanding our staff <laughs> and we have hired a 400 pound hacker <laughs> to work on the podcast it wasn't an idea we had by ourselves i have to give a hat tip to donald trump Without the best him, hackers in america we were trying to think who should we hire yeah. and then How we, we watched the debate thing? yeah you know we, i was thinking yeah we could hire you know some russian hackers some chinese right. hackers but you got to keep it local you got uh, it because you don't want the jobs from overseas. You want <laughs> jobs here. So this is an American 400-pound <laughs> hacker, and he'll be helping us. This is terrible. Anyhow, uh, a lot of things to talk about. Well, you wrote this week about parallels. We're going to get in the column. But um, I wanted to start out. Um, Elon Musk this week announced a very ambitious plan to go to Mars. We have covered the hell out of it on the site. Lauren Grush uh, went down to Mexico to the announcement. Uh, Miriam Nielsen, one of our video directors, went with her. Phil Esposito, one of our directors, went with her. We actually, people tell me they like inside baseball, so I'll give you some inside baseball. The first time in the history of The Verge that we have covered a live event outside of tech the way that we cover a big tech live event. A very exciting for a team to try to like apply the tools and strategies we use for like an Apple event or a big Samsung event uh, to a science event. So that was fun. We blew it out. Obviously, it's incredible that he wants to go to Mars. Lauren uh, and Miriam and Phil and the rest of our science team, led by Liz Lopato, did a great job covering that stuff. Amazing There's job. A ton of stuff on the side. I encourage you all to read it. Liz is going to be in the Vergecast tomorrow, uh, and we're going to go into extreme detail on the science stuff. But I thought it'd be interesting just to do a few minutes at the beginning here. Walt, you're, uh, I bet for our listeners, one of the few people they know that has actually spent serious time with Elon Musk. He's been on the code conference stage with you a couple times. You've obviously talked outside of that setting. What What's kind of your take on this? Well, I'm not, uh, I, I want to be clear, uh, uh, I'm not somebody who's had, you know, 20 conversations with Elon Musk or would claim to be close to him in any way, but I, I have spent, 
you know, several hours talking to him um, uh, on stage. And, and uh, you know, my sense of it is he's, the, he's a very unusual person, just as, you know, we know some people in tech, uh, and he is in tech also in a way, but, um, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or, you know, the, who we've talked about, uh, the two of them, and, you know, Evan Spiegel and, and, and Jack Dorsey. There's just a lot of unusual people. You have to be a little bit unusual if you have a big idea and you want to push it. And, and he has, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he has a big idea. Uh, and so he says some things that sound just crazy sometimes. Uh, and I'm not talking about uh, yesterday. I mean, you know, he had, uh, as you as you did, you wrote a, actually a post that I loved, uh, which uh, not just because you're my friend and <laughs> co-podcaster here, but I thought it was a great uh, sort of side piece uh, about how much his presentation resembled an Apple event. Uh, and even down to the nature of the slides and all that. But um, even though I was talking about something entirely wildly <laughs> yeah. different. Uh, but uh, he thinks big. He thinks really big. He thinks big about cars. He thinks big about solar power. And he thinks uh, big about space flight. But he thinks even bigger than all those is this idea of going to Mars. As our reporters, particularly uh, Lauren Grush, uh, pointed out, with, you know, respectful skepticism. Um, he's talking about, I think she, at one point she talked about 3,000 launches in 26 yeah. months to carry this out. And getting, to, he said something about getting to Mars in 80 days, which Lauren said is normally a six-month trip. So there's just a lot of, and he really has no details about how people would live on Mars at all. Or, you know, he sort of said – somebody asked him about the radiation uh, mm -hmm. on the way, which is always a big issue when people write about going to, uh, going to other planets uh, because space is, has a lot of radiation uh, and you don't have a lot of protection. And he just said, well, it's actually not that big a deal. But, but he didn't go much further than that. So, you know, I, uh, I don't think he's sweating the details here. And in that way, he's a little different than the tech uh, guys who have to think because they're, you know, they're doing a, they're doing a particular product, and they have a lot of details uh, that they not only have worked out, but in many cases want to market to you. And he's like, at one point, he said, "I'm just like the Union Pacific Railroad, <laughs> right? I'm yeah. I'm the transportation system. I am figuring out, and I'm presenting to you today the outlines of my plan." to get you there, including, by the way, lovely animations of a spaceship. He talked about how there'll be games and... and uh, yeah, it'd be uh, fun. A lot of fun to be had on the, on the spaceship. He says... He doesn't sweat the details. So he, says, he said, you know, I'm not the guy who's... He essentially, he said, look, there's a million problems, right? There's how are you going to live in, on Mars? How are the people actually going to... Make the fuel to go back. I mean, he he has this theory that the component chemicals need to make the methane are there, um, but he doesn't have the details for it. Uh, he says, "I'm the Union Pacific Railroad. I'm just giving you the transportation. <laughs> That's what I'm doing." And then he goes into how 
You know, you're going to be able to watch movies on the way yeah. there and play games. And there's a, he said a, the, the restaurant. There'll be a be restaurant. Fun. And I'm th- I, I literally, I mean, this is terrible, but I really literally found myself thinking, will this be a like five star restaurant or will it be like <laughs> McDonald's? <laughs> yeah. McDonald's for 80 days on the space transport. I don't know, you know? And besides, won't you be in zero G? Because, I mean, presumably you won't be, but as Lauren Grush, our colleague, pointed out, uh, his his animation showing the spacecraft did not show it spinning to create artificial gravity. Now, that may have just have been the animation, but all, so there's just a lot of details not nailed down. But... Elon Musk is a big, big thinker, and he has had some success. Um, I, I think it's possible to write, and I'm not, you know, I don't know, I haven't researched it enough to know. Our 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 transportation folks know much more about this, but I think it's possible to write a critique that that essentially says, yes, Teslas are the most amazing cars a lot of people have ever seen, but he hasn't sold very many. And he hasn't proven that he can make them in mass, mass quantities. He's yeah. made, you know, he makes more than Ferrari or somebody. I mean, he's made tens of thousands, but he hasn't made hundreds of thousands over the kinds of short time periods that car companies have to do to have the and real And he's, he's got to ship the Model 3, which he hasn't done. So he's taken right. a ton of pre-orders right. against the Model 3, which would be the mass market car. And, you know, Elon has... Uh, he has many, many fans, right? And these are the people who believe in Tesla. They believe in Elon. They believe in SpaceX. Um, and the the stuff he's doing with all these companies is inspiring. But if you put down the money to pre-order a Model 3 and the CEO of the company is like, there's going to be a restaurant on my Mars spaceship, you, you, you kind of – I wonder. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't pre-order a Model 3, but I wonder how many people are like, yeah, but finish my car. You know, like yeah. – Well, you desperately need it because you have a Jeep. I mean, hey, as soon as he makes the, as soon as the Model X has the range, I'm Jeep's gone. Big touchscreen Model X, self driving down the highway. Could be gone today. I think (laughs) when we finish the podcast, you need to get rid of the Jeep. I should go trade in a Jeep. Yeah. As soon as as, I'm really, uh, I mean, the Jeep puts out the the CarPlay version. The Jeep explodes about as often as a lithium ion battery. Seriously. Yeah, so what I want is a car with even more lithium-ion batteries. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. I know. Um, Do you but, think uh, we're uh, getting uh, Chrysler as a sponsor here? I, I don't know. <laughs> as what soon as think? they put CarPlay in the Jeep, sponsor the, the show, give me, you know, I'll test uh, Anyway, uh, just back to Elon. I mean, if you interview him, like Kara and I, uh, Kara Swisher uh, and I have done at our code conference, um, you get, you do not get the answers that, that a normal cautious executive would give you. And by the way, he is not sort of a blowhard kind of guy. I mean, you know, he's quiet. He's soft-spoken. We've had to almost bludgeon him into coming on stage. I mean, it's not easy to get him to come on stage. The first time he came on stage, which was a few years ago, um, Kara and I were walking down the street at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, as our listeners uh, probably know. And she said to me, you have to help me get – because we split up getting the different speakers and she was supposed to get Elon, but she couldn't. She said, you have to help me. And I said, OK, how can I help you? And she said, come with me. We're going we're gonna to go, go attack him right now or huh. confront him. I said, what? She said, just come with me. And 
uh, you have to know Kara. I mean, uh, so we go to some restaurant. We walk into a private dinner to which we weren't invited. <laughs> we know everyone in the room and they know us. So nobody's like, who are these strange people? But they are a little surprised. Elon's in the corner uh, sitting, you know, having dinner, talking to somebody. And we just we just walked right over to him and we surrounded him and we just hectored him into coming to the conference. <laughs> <laughs> That's inside, a little conference inside That's baseball. That's great. Um, so, uh, you know, at the at our conference uh, interviews, which were very uh, well received, um, he he, you know, is a guy with big, big ideas, and he says pretty major, interesting things. And um, you know, he he kind of announced the hyperloop for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, the hyperloop concept, which he's not building, but which he uh, conceived of this super fast train uh, idea. And um, he did that at his first appearance at Code, I mean, three years ago. And then last year, he actually, among among many other things, in answer to a question, uh, he said he thought it was uh, more likely than not that we were, uh, how did he put it? We were like a figment of some superior yeah. being's mind. We live in a computer simulation. Yeah, like the Matrix That's- or something, you know. And uh, this is a this is a CEO, a very wealthy <laughs> CEO, where a lot of people are counting on for their next car to replace their Jeep. And he's <laughs> saying we're, we're a computer simulation. So you like to have that kind of person on stage, but it's but it's different. I mean, it's it, it's. It's different than having Jeff Bezos, who was at the same conference and also did a, you know, a, a, a highly uh, followed and still quoted uh, interview, uh, and also, by the way, does space. But here's the key, one of the key differences, and they both they both speak about each other respectfully, uh, uh, and and there is some overlap. But Bezos says we know what the best planet is. It's Earth. I mean, he doesn't buy into the. Yeah. He's not against, uh, you know, putting people on other planets. He said publicly he's not he's, – he's all for it at some point. But he doesn't – he, you know, Elon was – has been consistently clear and was yesterday again that there will be an extinction event on Earth at some point, that we can't be a one planet – that humanity cannot be a one planet civilization. We have to be at least a two planet uh, civilization species and that we need uh, Mars. Jeff thinks, he said, I already know what the best planet is and so do, we all know what the best planet is and we're here and we don't, you know, I don't mind and we may eventually, he's talking about his Blue Origin company, We, our rockets may be used to put somebody on Mars but that's not, what he's doing is very similar to the way he thinks of Amazon. He's He's assembling kind of a utility system Four reusable rockets that could be used for a whole bunch of purposes. He's assembling a, a, a space travel uh, infrastructure that is cheaper and more utilitarian. Yeah, I mean, I, the, you know, his answer about the computer simulation is, I mean, it rocketed around the web. Ezra Klein at Vox wrote a great piece. It was the most popular piece on Vox for like a month. But his answer was so grounded in like nerd talk that it just. Yeah. He was like, look, VR is here. If you assume any rate of improvement to GPUs, then in photorealistic VR is down the line. 
And if you assume that, then we live in a computer simulation. I mean, it's obvious. And it was just yeah. such a, it yeah. was such a thoughtful answer about such an insane thing. And that that to me is the vibe I was caught from. So I, this Mars thing was, as I was watching it, a as as you point out, I was struck by the sort of juxtaposition of how consumer tech companies, particularly Apple, have invented the style of presenting a product to you. Here's why we made the decisions about this product, and here's why those decisions resulted in a great product that you can buy, you know, from AT&T for $650 and replace your old product. Um, but he was talking about sending human beings to Mars yeah. and whether to use methane as fuel, which is a radically different construct. And Liz Lopato pointed out a piece just before the event. Um, his audience is not us, right? He needs the money from NASA and the government. But to get the political support for those entities to give him trillions, billions of dollars, he needs the public to rally around the idea. Yeah, so he, it's not a controversial he, need, thing. he needs to be uh, Jobsian uh, and he's or Muskian maybe now. But, you know, he needs to have a lot of razzle dazzle. And, and essentially he was marketing a, a plan and and not making it up out of whole cloth in the sense that his much more uh, – uh, pedestrian, and that's really probably not the right word because it's, <laughs> it's, it's not pedestrian, but his, his much more familiar to us thing that he's doing where he's reusing rockets and, you know, sometimes there's a failure and a lot of other times it works, um, you know, shows that he can do some, at least the opening elements of this on a small scale. Uh, the uh, As Lauren Grush pointed out in a video today, the size of the rocket he's talking about is significantly bigger than the one I used for the moon landings. Um, and he has nothing like that. Neither does Bezos. Uh, neither does NASA anymore. So um, uh, he has some credibility there, but I think he needs to, you know, he takes that credibility and, 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 and he markets it. It's just like it's in, there's an analog to Tesla. He has some credibility with Tesla, but if you step back, he does not have uh, yet the proven ability to act at scale. I'm not, yep. I am in no way saying he will fail. In fact, I think there are, you can certainly make a strong case that he will succeed. But uh, these are not easy things. And he's, it's, it's, to me, it's better that we have an Elon Musk than, than, than that we don't. And I hope, I certainly have enjoyed my interactions with him and, um, uh, and I thought we did a great job covering it. And yeah. I, I really don't know much more than that. Yeah. It's just, you know, not many people have encountered him. You know, he's he's this mythical figure for most people. And it, it's interesting that you've spent as much time talking to him both on stage and off stage at the Code Conference. So I wanted to get that out. But let's get on to the meat, the real controversy this week, <laughs> Parallels 12. Um, no, this is interesting. Uh, it's interesting that you chose to write about it. I thought... Uh, this column, you know, usually Walt and I, you know, Walt gives me the copy of the column, a little too late usually, but whatever. <laughs> and I edit it and we like argue back and forth. This time I read it, I, I barely did anything to it because it was such an interesting thing to talk about something that we kind of take for granted, yeah. but has radically improved in the 10 or so years, just slowly but surely improved. Uh, and Walt, you had this last line, you usually read your old column, but I'm reading your, your current column this time. I have a soft spot for breakthrough products like Parallels even years after they appear. And I think that is 
it's interesting to just step back and say this was a breakthrough product and it still is. Yeah. Um, I can still remember getting the demo of it. And the odd thing is I got a demo of it. I, I got two – in 2006, I got two demos on two coasts within two weeks of each other. I actually think I got the Parallels demo first. Mm-hmm. Um, one was a demo of Parallels uh, and because the company at the time was based in or had a big operation right near where I am based in Washington, D.C. And uh, the other demo was from Steve Jobs who was showing me boot camp before he they announced it. And um, both of these were made possible by the fact that Max uh, had uh, – I still think actually this is – too little is made of this in history. But they pulled off an amazing thing and they, they, they secretly – uh, you know, put the Mac on a whole different processor architecture. But it was the standard Intel processor architect- architecture used by Windows, which suddenly makes it really easy, or not easy, but much easier to run other things on a Mac or to do a virtual machine. And so uh, in my the first one I wrote was about boot camp, <clears throat> but I mentioned Parallels in it, and I think that was the first mention of it. And then I think I did what must have been the first review of Parallels way back in, in 2006. And the word I want to use about Parallels is magic. And I and I know that's uh, you know sounds kind of corny. That's the way I feel about a lot of gadgets and a lot of cool software that I have reviewed over the years and continue to feel about certain things. When you see could be a feature, could be an entire piece of hardware, could be a piece of software. You see something that does something really well that it, that is not what the thing is supposed to do by design. You're like, that's magic. That's really, <laughs> that's really cool. And yeah. so this is a magic – it's a magic product. Yeah. And I think what I want to talk about with Parallels is kind of the key is it's fascinating to me – how when Bootcamp came out and when Parallels came out in 2006, 10 years ago, the whole world of mobile didn't exist. Right. It was a major revolution that you could just boot a Mac into Windows. You've got a line in your Bootcamp review. Last month, it's from 2006 in Walt's Bootcamp review. Last month, two hackers caused a stir by posting online their own method for running Windows on the Intel Macs. The idea that this would cause a stir now is like <laughs> incomprehensible. Um, but at that time, right, but those, it was like these the were the Cold two major War. platforms, yeah, and they they were not to meet. I would love to hear more about Steve Jobs demoing Bootcamp to you and booting Windows mm-hmm. on a Mac and being proud yeah. of it because that is it, it outside the realm of comprehension at that time. But now we're in a place where it works. It works really well. Uh, I think in your review, you pointed out, you know, you had Edge running and it just acted like a Mac program, and yeah. Windows. And I was running it on a three-and-a-half-year-old MacBook Air, uh, and I had like 15 apps open, Mac apps, Windows apps, many tabs in, in Safari, bunch of tabs in Microsoft Edge, which is not available on a Mac version. And it all worked. I mean the fans were going pretty hard, but it, but it all worked fine. And what's interesting to me is we now live in a world where – it used to be that 
you needed parallels if you were a Mac owner or you needed to use bootcamp sometimes because there's a whole world of apps that you could not get on the Mac. Particularly if you're in a corporate environment, there was just a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Uh, and it's interesting today, we didn't cover this at all because it's enterprise and we don't really do enterprise, but you know, Apple announced a partnership with Deloitte, the consulting yep. firm, to Very, bring even more enterprise software to iOS. Very much like they, they've previously introduced with Cisco and IBM. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that, that those roles have changed, Microsoft's roles have changed, and what you need parallels for now it might be very different because you, the Apple platforms, particularly iOS, it has become such a default platform. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, there's, there's several things. <clears throat> and um, I did point them out in the column that times have changed. Uh, I, you're absolutely right. There were a lot of things that if you owned a Mac in 2006, even though the Apple and the Mac were both sort of – you knew they weren't going to die by 2006, but they were still um, you know, greatly disadvantaged. I mean they were, I, they were a better system in my opinion than Windows at mm -hmm. that point, but they didn't not have the, the, the app variety. And uh, – you know, I think the web apps that have appeared since then have completely evened the playing field. This was a big blow to Microsoft's uh, superiority and a big help to Apple. And then uh, just one year later, the iPhone was announced and, and, then, and then we were off to the, to the races on mobile where the whole desktop environment became less important and, and less central than it, than it had been. Uh, but um, – uh, with, you know, you might the reason you might need parallels now is, uh, you know, there are people who still work in uh, big companies which have in-house apps that only run on Windows. Incredibly, there are still some banking and finance uh, kinds of programs which not only only run on Windows but only run on Internet Explorer, which even Microsoft has abandoned, although it is still in there. Um, and uh, games. Um, Parallels uh, uh, boot camp is what you want if you want to use a Mac to run Windows games in a serious way, and it's a pretty fast Windows computer. But uh, but even Parallels can play uh, some games, and it can run the Xbox app on on Windows 10. But yeah, these companies uh, their their roles have changed. Microsoft has had to essentially go through a painful reinvention of itself including a couple of really bad versions of Windows flailing around trying to trying to hold its old position. I mean, that, that to me is, that's the thing to talk about. Because when, you know, I suspect the reason Bootcamp worked as Bootcamp and Apple didn't build a virtualized solution like Parallels is because they wanted it to be slightly painful to have access to Windows stuff so that application developers would build native Mac things. And they didn't have an app store. They didn't have tight control over the platform. You know, they still kind of don't. Well, and they also uh, kind of wanted, I mean, I, they also, it clearly, I can remember this demo, clearly uh, they loved, Steve Jobs personally and the company loved the fact that it, it was a wicked fast Windows machine. <laughs> and the only, in fact, people wrote, people did benchmarks with it. Yeah. Um, and continued to every once in a while for years. And uh, it often came out to be the fastest Windows laptop you could buy. 
Uh, yeah. But only if you didn't try to do it as a virtualization thing where you – only if you said, I'm giving this entire computer over to Windows and uh, that's what boot camp does. That's what makes boot camp and parallels different. Yeah, but, I yeah. Think, uh, Joanna Stern for many years wrote both an Engadget and I believe once on The Verge, the best Windows computer you can buy is a MacBook Air. Yeah. Um, and those have been out. But my point was – Parallels at one time represented kind of a threat to the Apple ecosystem, right? You can buy a Mac, you can run your Windows applications. If you can do that and everyone's happy, there's no reason for application developers to make native versions of the apps. Now it's it's almost inverted. It's, well, everyone has Macs and Apple phones. If you can just run the few legacy applications and Parallels on a Mac, there's no reason to go to Windows. And because there's not a great Microsoft mobile strategy out in the world, Microsoft is turning into a different kind of company that has to service iOS customers as an application vendor, has to service Mac customers as an application vendor, has to be on Android as an application vendor, as a services vendor. And that, to me, the entire dynamic of the industry has changed. And it's funny that the role of Parallels, which used to be, well, it might weaken the Mac ecosystem is now very much in the role of it's going to let you hold on to legacy Microsoft ecosystem products while the Microsoft ecosystem changes entirely. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with everything you said except one thing that I think you didn't mean but might have implied. It, it, it certainly is still true that there are many more Windows PCs in the install base and sold on a daily basis than Macs. But, um, but, but Macs have grown – much faster than the overall PC market, particularly in the United States and to a somewhat lesser but still significant extent in some of the other developed markets. Um, there's still a lot more Windows machines uh, sold. There is the touchscreen aspect of Windows, uh, which the Mac does not have and some people like, though, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these, I keep just... I had another meeting with a major PC uh, Windows ma uh, manufacturer, which confirmed what I have said and written before, which is that um, their own internal data, which they never say uh, they never talk about on the record, shows that a very small minority of uh, their users um, uh, use it. You know, flip these uh, flippy convertibles around and use them as tablets. They're almost always used as clamshells, and there's a, you know, there's a real split uh, between people who regularly use the touchscreen and people who don't. Um, so, uh, but you know, that's that's what they that's what the market, uh, particularly the premium market, um, has, and there uh, there is some evidence based on component orders that the Windows laptop market may do better. Uh, this holiday season than it has, partly because just the replacement cycle has been stretched out. And there's a lot of, you know, Windows laptops on their last legs that I think people will, uh, yeah, will. Buy. And as we've mentioned a thousand times, buying a Mac right now is just, just an exercise in futility. And you know, I mean, they're they're just so old. Um, the, yeah, I I, the, I I think we both. Strongly, I, well, maybe maybe you'll disagree with me, but I strongly, strongly suspect that at least the MacBook Pro 
will be completely um, updated. Um, yeah. And soon, and and probably for the holiday season now, we're running out of time. But you know, there could be an October event. I I don't know that, so nobody trade <laughs> your stock based on that. But you know, I think they're I think they're doing it, and I think there there may be some other smaller changes as well. Yeah, I hope so. So this episode of Control Delete is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, control delete listeners can post job on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash delete, which is the most aggressive code we've ever had. But do it. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash delete. One more time, for free, you can try out ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash delete. Let me ask you just... On Microsoft, right? I mean, there was a great piece in Wired, sort of. I was it last week, earlier this week, about how they, you know, they're, they're so heavily into their own services game now that they're making their own chips, these FPGA chips that are programmable chips. They're they've pivoted their entire organization. Do you do you? I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, Windows PCs might have a sales renaissance this holiday season, but. What's your general view of where Microsoft has landed in in this moment in the ecosystem? Well, I I think it's easy to get distracted by the Surface and the mm-hmm. Surface Book. I mean, there, so there is a hardware business. Um, it's a very small part of their business. It's a very small part of the hardware world. The window, even the Windows hardware world. It's more of a here's kind of the best practices kinds of devices you can build. I mean, Lenovo makes essentially a, a complete clone of the Surface tablet. Um, they make one that runs Windows and another one that runs Android, and it, I think it's 100 bucks less or something, And it, but it's still a quality uh, piece of, of um, hardware, and it even includes a Lenovo keyboard, which is a really good keyboard. Um, so I don't, think, I don't think that's the major direction of Microsoft, although it's there. Um, obviously, the Xbox thing is the Xbox thing. Um, they they um, are certainly a force and a factor, but they've had trouble uh, matching Sony in certain ways. And um, it's part of Microsoft, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of Microsoft is the following things, as far as I can tell, listening to Satya Nadella. Um, and it, it roughly runs like this to me. Uh, yeah. We blew mobile. We just blew it. We blew <laughs> mobile phones. And then we tried to, you know, they tried an end run uh, of uh, Windows 8 and then even more with Windows 10 saying, write these uh, full screen touch tablet-like apps for our PC install base, which is our strength. And, we, and we've, we've now re-architected everything so that if you do the app, for the PC, it'll run on the phone, and that will save our phones, and and we can make tablets, and or we do make tablets, and other people can make tablets. It hasn't worked. There, I mean, 
if you buy a Windows PC or use Parallels or whatever and you're running Windows 10, you're largely going to find yourself in the Windows desktop that while modernized and, and certainly faster than it used to be, is the Windows desktop. It is not a fundamentally different thing than it used to be. That Walk up and down the aisle on the plane, that's what you're going to see people doing with Surfaces. It may be a Surface, beautiful piece of hardware, new, powerful, capable of you know, being a tablet and doing tablet things. When you look at it, it's running it's yeah you wouldn't be confused if you if you went into a time machine and and were familiar with XP i mean it's nicer than XP but it doesn't it's that is the ui so um you know they blew mobile the question and, and they are Sachin Nadella the ceo is absolutely determined they will not blow the next thing so they are putting their focus heavily on the next things ai Huge focus on AI. They're doing a ton of work on it. Cortana is kind of just the face of it, uh, but there's uh, the first face of it, but there's a lot more. There's that Skype uh, language translation service. There are These are the kind of peaks of the mountains that we can see, but there's a lot going on. So AI, the cloud, they're, hu- they're hugely competing with Google and Amazon on the cloud in a fierce way. Um, and... Uh, I think HoloLens. I think you know AR, and we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. I am a, one of those people who thinks AR is the bigger, more uh, uh, game world changing, game changing thing than VR, and it's in a very secret way. Although they've admitted it, Apple is spending most of its uh, you know attention uh, on on AR as opposed to VR. Obviously, in a more public way with HoloLens, so is Microsoft. Uh, and I just think that's what they – you're right. It's services. And then they understand the mobile platforms do not include them. They get that. They're over that. They're calm about it. And they just want to put all of these services that tie into the cloud and whatever AI they can do and so forth on iOS, on Android, uh, and and – so there are a dozen – I mean particularly on iOS, there are I think must be 30 Microsoft apps. I mean somebody could count them, but there's a lot. Yeah. I mean I, to, I guess the question is, you know, they have Xbox, which is a big consumer play obviously. Yeah. Is that it? Is that their last touch point with the consumer or are they, well, are they turning into this? Office. I mean office yeah. is a business thing, but it's still a consumer thing. And uh, Windows. I mean, there's lots of consumers that still run Windows. Uh, in the circles we travel in, journalistic circles, um, super snobby elite circles, Neelai. I mean, <laughs> we mostly see Macs. In our limousines. <laughs> yeah. Eating the caviar. Right. Giant <laughs> Apple logos on top of our limousines. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, let's, let's be honest. If you walk through a newsroom, including... The newsrooms we work in, and we work in two different ones, though they're the same company. Um, you don't, you know, the the only time you p- predominantly now, over I would say over ninety percent of the time, that you see a logo that is an Apple, it's basically just because that's the monitor, yeah, that is attached 
to an Apple laptop so that you can get a bigger screen, uh, if, particularly our video editors and other people. Um, and so you will see a Dell logo or a, uh, an Acer logo or something. But, um, but if you look at the person's actual workstation, it's a MacBook Pro probably plugged into that monitor. Um, so we, where we work and the people that we know socially, it's probably very heavily uh, Macs. But if you look around the world, they're, they, they do have a, still have a touch point with the consumers uh, that is considerable in uh, Windows laptops. So yeah, I, but but I think a lot of it. I think your point was that a lot of where they're heading is providing platforms that are essentially invisible and that get instantiated in products that may or may not be their products. Yeah, I mean, I, to, you know, I think one of the most interesting things that's happened recently is HP, which is still a chaotic company from the outside. Their new Spectre laptops. They were just very open in biz in the business market, the high end market. We're losing to Macs because they make the prettiest computers. So we made a really pretty Windows laptop because Fortune 500 executives need to run crazy Excel stuff, and they want Windows. And nothing is as good as a Mac, so they just deal with it. But we make a computer that is as pretty as a Mac and runs Windows. Their CIOs are going to deliver them that computer, and I think. That's a really interesting play. I think that computer is an interesting computer. I haven't seen very many of them around, but yeah, I reviewed I, it. It was it was very nice. Um, I, but I but the thing is, I have seen a few. Right, it's you know that that yeah. cross country flight. It's I see a bunch of Macs. I see surfaces. I actually see a lot of surfaces, and I see the Spectre. And that's kind of like that's, that's a, a win for them. That's good. that's a big win. But um, whereas you used to see like the De the big Dell has mostly been kind yeah, of yeah you know I subsumed. still well actually I still see that but not as much you're right um, look the I don't think it's just that it's pretty I'm I'm not denying that that that's part of it I think for many many years and I think maybe Windows has gotten to the point now where that this isn't an issue it was just much more of a hassle I mean it was much less reliable. It was much less secure. Um, it's still less secure, but I think guarding against it is easier. Guarding against the security threats is a little bit easier. Uh, the, the, the individual client uh, security threats, not guarding against hacking your network. It's a different thing. But uh, I think uh, there were a lot of reasons why people preferred the, the Mac. Some of it was status. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of it was looks and weight and all that kind of stuff, um, and so um, it's good, good for HP. Uh, you know, our colleague Tom Warren uh, wrote again. I think today that uh, he just noted again. He had written a longer column about this that the Dell XPS 13 has become his computer of choice instead of a Mac, and now he's a Windows. You know he's our knowledge most knowledgeable probably Windows guy on our staff. So it's it's to him it's probably a return. Like at last I found a <laughs> a worthy Windows computer. I'm gonna want to put words in his mouth, but that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Um, yeah. I, I I think, uh, but I think so. I don't think there aren't any touch points between Microsoft and consumers, but I do think their focus 
is not on uh, consumer touch points. You know, they Microsoft, the, the Bill Gates, and to some extent Steve Ballmer, Microsofts were companies that were, was a company, a uh, continuing company that was remarkable in that they had major, major presence in both enterprise and consumer. Uh, very few, you know, Apple had no enterprise presence um, and uh, other companies had no, you know, companies like, uh, um, I don't know, VMware or other people that they competed with had virtually no consumer presence and they had both. Um, you know, remember, you can remember when they were going to take on Google and search in a big way yeah. and that and that failed. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I think that for the most part, they're heading to being a company that is 89% enterprise and or something like that. And, you know, not no consumer, but not much consumer. Yeah, like I said, I mean, they have the Xbox. It's, it, you can't possibly say that they're not paying attention to the right. consumer when they have one of one of the great consumer products that exists. They do, but it, I, you know, it's, it's. I just think when you look at sort of the nature of the consumer tech market now, it's about these huge ecosystems that you buy into and get locked into in many cases. So, you know, Apple obviously sells you hardware. They sell you a range of apps. Um, they sell you a watch that only works with their hardware. They will sell you headphones that will automatically log you into all that hardware. Google, you know, we're expecting um, in a few weeks to Google to have a major hardware event where they're going to, you know, there's been leaks of their Pixel phones and there's rumors of a new Chromecast and they had the OnHub Wi-Fi router and a, the Google Home Assistant is coming and it's all physical pieces of hardware that tie into this larger mobile connected ecosystem that then ties into in Google's case a cloud service, in Apple's case cloud services with all these. And they're moving. And they're moving fast toward uh, Google is moving fast toward Apple's model of being a vertically integrated hardware maker, and uh, not just not just the, uh, moving away from the Microsoft model, which was their model uh, in many ways, not entirely, but in many ways of uh, supplying the the platform to other hardware makers, and that was it. Yeah, and then and then you look at Amazon. Amazon has a bunch of hardware products, some of which I think we tend to ignore, but are actually quite successful. Like uh, the the Kindle e-reader, I think we all know is a very successful, very good product. But right. all of their cheap tablets, people buy them for kids like crazy. Um, the only reason Alexa is in the assistant conversation is because the Echo is a well-executed, well-marketed hardware product that we oh yeah all find very interesting. Their Fire TV stuff. Um, I actually, I'm I know, not as, are selling not very big, well. I'm not huh? a big fan. Yeah, but it's, it's just funny. Stuff. But these are, the way that they're getting their platforms out there is by shipping hardware that runs their platform. And it's interesting to watch Microsoft, you know, they've got this, this little hardware business, but they're not doing any mobile hardware. And there's, except for the Xbox, which I continue to point out is a major consumer hardware play, obviously. There's not any of these other little... You know, there's no Cortana voice assistant that sits in your house. There's no. Yeah, I just don't. There, I just don't think that's where they are at the moment. I just don't yeah. think that's what uh, Nadella's strategy is. And um, you know, companies have to look for their future in different places in different ways. And one important, uh, uh, you know, I think rule or or precept is 
you can't spend all your time trying to emulate the other people. You have to say, what's our strength? And, you know, let's not get distracted. And, you know, that certainly was was uh, true of Bill Gates in the early days and true of Steve Jobs right up to the uh, end of his life and and Sachin and, and, and Steve Ballmer, I think, was all over the place, uh, to be <laughs> honest. No, he was. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was. I mean, he's he. I hold him responsible for them missing the mobile revolution, and I also hold him responsible for dabbling in this. We're going to beat Google at search. We're going to do this other thing, you know, whatever. And uh, I think Nadella came in and said, "We who." And by the way, he came out of their enterprise piece, which is a huge piece. He was even then, and he came in and said, "We're not. We're not." deserting the consumer space altogether but it's not our future our future is his other stuff yeah you know i asked him oh man this might almost be a year ago now um i interviewed him uh at the new store they were building in uh midtown manhattan and i asked him a pretty rude question i thought but he had a great answer no, said, why you? does microsoft exist um which is a hard question right yeah. you go to in, in any organization you can Walk into Domino's Pizza and say, "Why does Domino's Pizza exist?" And it, it, it's not like well, an easy thing to answer. <laughs> uh, but he had a great answer. He said, "We exist because we're going to help people do their jobs better, um, and we're going to help people create more and be more productive." And I think, as a mission statement for a company the size of Microsoft, you know, it's hard to apply that directly to everything. Again, I'm bringing up Xbox. Xbox doesn't help you do your work better, but it is a great product. And across the rest of their business, it has provided enormous focus to what they do. I just think it's interesting to think about what Parallels was 10 years ago and what it is now where it's the relationship of what it disintermediates has completely flipped is kind of the story of where these companies have landed because of mobile. Yep. No, I I, I completely agree with you. Um I wish you had mentioned Mech, uh, Xbox one more time, but Xbox. Uh, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, this is our one-year anniversary, yeah. and I just want to make sure we give Xbox fair fair number of mentions. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a great observation. Um, it has flipped, and um, uh, you know, it's now something that I think very few Mac owners need, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have about five – I didn't say this in the comment, but they have about five million customers uh, still. Uh, they never were a huge company, Parallels. Um, although I have to say very, very clever engineering, uh, very good, very good solid engineering. Um, and uh, they, uh, you know, they have a business and they have other products, which I didn't mention, although I've written about some of them before. Uh, one one is a thing that is probably the best one I've ever tried of the of the type of product that tries to let you remotely operate a a, a PC uh, on an iPad. They have right. a good product for that. Um, and uh, but but it was just a hugely exciting thing in 2006. A hugely exciting thing uh, because you were star. You know. If you were an Excel jockey or a PowerPoint jockey, and remember there were no Google apps or docs then, um, everybody used Microsoft Office. Uh, y- you know the Mac version of Office 
while it might be adequate for the casual consumer, was not adequate for you if you were a serious, you know, Excel uh, user or PowerPoint user or Outlook user for that matter. Um, Today, and I did point this out in the column, and I wrote a review a few years ago, a couple of years ago about this. Microsoft made a decision and did, in fact, bring the Mac native version of Office up to essentially parity, but essentially leaves room where you know if you're a if you're a uh, if you know every keyboard command and every little function in Excel or every little transition available in PowerPoint. You might want the Windows version, and Parallels let you do that, but that's not a big audience. That's not right. a big audience. It's not. It's not 2006. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, like we said, Elon and SpaceX did a whole bunch of stuff. Liz is on the Vergecast tomorrow, so ch- tune into that. Uh, our friend Lauren Good. We actually mentioned the other Lauren a bunch this week, but Lauren Good, who we usually mention a lot, uh, is too embarrassed right. to ask on the Recode side. Kara Swisher has uh, Recode Decode. Peter Kafka has uh, Recode Media, which is one of my favorites. Uh, and Chris Plant does What's Tech uh, on the Verge side, which comes out on Tuesday. So he had a great. All that. There's a great one out right now of What's Tech on um, why batteries explode and yeah. what that's all about. You know, we we did talk about we talked about it a lot last week. We didn't talk about it all this week, but they, Samsung is they they have put out some stuff now. Some executives talking on videos. It it seems to be calming down, and as it calms down, the number of tweets I get about airline flight attendants saying insane things is on the rise. Oh, I got really? one this week. Someone tweeted at me that said, uh, "No Samsung phones are allowed to be charged." A flight attendant just came on and said, "Don't charge your Samsung phone." What airline was it? United. The, yeah, probably they didn't point out the airline, but I think that of all the brand damage that can be done, flight attendants getting it wrong during pre-flight announcements is, yeah, well, is by far that's not where you want to be. When we do the State are, of the yeah. Union next week, we should talk about them. We should talk about them. Maybe what has um, happened. But that's it. Thank you so much for listening. It, I, un, and we didn't talk about this enough on the show, but it is unbelievable that it has been a year of the show. It's been well, it's been so much fun talking to you. And I love it. I've really loved it. I have to say, and I and I hope you know the listeners are are enjoying it as as well. I will say, you know, we don't. The Verge is not like a hugely metrics driven organization. We we do what we do because we love it, uh, and we think we want to make great journalism. But the audience response to the show has been unlike anything I've experienced. It got, you know, it it, it connected with its audience. That audience has continued to grow, and you have been. All of you listening have been such a tremendous audience for us. We do love the intros. We love the feedback. I love the fact that every time we post a new episode of the show, we Walt and I both get tons of tweets and comments and emails. It has been uh, just the most fun doing this with you, Walt, and doing it for you, our audience. So thank you so much for that. And we'll be back next week. Thanks a lot, Walt. My privilege, Eli. Thanks a lot. It is kind of unbelievable that it's been here. I know. It really I mean, this, this time flies, man. <laughs>